welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today, I'm super excited to have David Mullins with me today. When most of us think about the Caribbean, we may think of white sandy beaches, cocktails by a swim-up bar, or a five-star resort. What you may not think of is private investment firms that allow retail investors to access a portfolio of public and private equity in the Caribbean. This is where our conversation begins. I'm truly honored to have David Mullins, founder, chairman, and CEO of Blue Maho Capital Partners with us today. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me, Christine. Love the intro. Thank you. Well, you know, there's a lot I could have said, but I, I reserved that for the interview. So um, thanks for joining us today. So I just want to start with, you know, the younger version of David. Um, what were you like as a child growing up? Um, I understand you grew up in Jamaica, so just tell us a little bit about that. No, that's great. Thanks for having me, and I'm really looking forward to sharing you know, my lessons and insights with your listeners. In terms of growing up, I grew up between Kingston, Jamaica, and Miami, Florida. Uh, my mom worked oh. as a nurse, and my mom actually was trained in England and then worked in New York and then Miami. And so since I was probably seven or eight, I'd be growing up very regularly to Miami. So it felt like I had two homes. But growing oh, okay. up in Jamaica, certainly I think most of us who grew up in majority black countries talk about you know, how that allows us to to not set limits on ourselves. So right. as a young person, you know, I was taught to think very big, aim very high, and, and it wasn't a matter of, oh, I can't be a doctor or a lawyer or a politician, judge. I mean, we see all these people that, that look just like us. And so, yeah. so it always felt like you know, there was no limit on what we could do. Dad is a retired doctor now and taught at the medical school at the University of West Indies in the Caribbean. So I grew up in a very academically uh, rigid household in the sense of, you know, your grades matter. Not that we have to be all straight-A students, but school does right. matter and you need to focus on book smarts. But we also need to ensure that we, we have street smarts, that we, we have that, you know, that ability to interact with people, engage. So I played sports. Right? I wasn't just this book kid. Uh, so in, in prep school, you know, swam, and then I tried to play for my soccer team, football team, couldn't make that team, but I kept going to training. And that's one of the things Dad taught me very early on. Just because he didn't make a team doesn't mean that he give up. You can ask him, mm. can I train with you? So I got to stay and train with them and still kept improving my skills. And then eventually I got to play a little in high school and then played here in the U.S. Yeah, so and, and as many young people who, who have some decent skill at a sport, and felt like they wanted to try and go professional with it. So it was fun playing those various sports. In high school, I did some additional sports. I also went and and, and tried basketball one year, in fact. Continued to be on the swim team as well. And I I'd actually did try cricket. I made a cricket team once. I got to okay. play one match. Oh, man. And I went to catch a ball, and it went through my hands and hit me in my head. And that was the end Ouch. of the story. <laughs> yes. So so growing up, I would say that's one of the things for me. I'm willing to try new things. But but if it hurts bad enough, I will call it quits, right? You have to know when to quit and, and divert your energy uh, to some other things that are more fulfilling. But it was fun. I, I played video games, watched movies, hung out. You know, I used to walk home from high school, actually, which some people are very surprised. 
but home was fairly close. And an interesting story, not many people know. My brother is a year younger than me. Uh, he went to a different high school in Jamaica, and he had a cadet. Uh, so this is like ROTC in the U.S. And we didn't have mm-hmm. one at my high school. So I would leave my school, and some days I would go to cadet at his school. And so it was always interesting. He was at an all-boys school, and I was at a co-ed school. So it was drastically a different environment and culture at his school, more rough and tumble. And it was fascinating to see the two different worlds that I was exposed to. Mhm. So, wow, this this is fascinating. I, you know, first of all, I'm I'm from Jamaica, so I, I'm curious to know which high schools these are that you're. Okay, to so I went to Campion. <laughs> I went to Campion, okay, and my brother went to okay. JC. Yeah, Robert went to Jamaica okay, College, okay, so okay, okay. he was. And, and and I went to prep school. I went to Mona Prep. Both Robert and I, my brother okay. went there, and my aunt, well, my grand aunt, uh, taught there. So I was I was in grade five Mullings, and then she moved to grade six, and I was in grade six Mullings, but. You know, something happened at, at that age that allowed me to, to understand that the world is not fair. Uh, I still will use that term sometimes. It's not fair, and that reminds me that the world isn't fair. But I was a year younger than everybody, most people in my class, because I'm born in January, so I started school in September before I became four years old. So I was three, three and a half. And so we get sent to our exam, right, in Jamaica. At the time, it was called Common Entrance. Now you have yep. So I was doing common entrance just after I turned 10, like literally I turned 10 two weeks before. And the school didn't want to send me. They wanted to have me repeat the grade, repeat grade six and and do the exam the following year, despite having very good grades. And so my parents said, no, we won't hold him back. And so they sent me as a private candidate, scored high enough to get a government scholarship. But because as a private candidate, I've been told that that's why I couldn't qualify for the government scholarship. So it it was a good lesson that your age can either be used against you or it can be used for you, right? It can be positive right. or negative. In that case, it ended up being negative. But because of that, went to high school, finished fifth form, and you know, having mom worked in the U.S., we were residents, and so I was able to have the option of either going to sixth form, you know, six A and six B, to then go into the college system or university system, certainly in the U- in the Caribbean, or I could come straight to the U.S. Most of us who come up here just go to high school and repeat a few years. But my right. parents didn't want me to do that. So at 15 years old, I went straight into college. And we started as a community college so that we, we could have me get used to the U.S. system. And I remember our CXC results weren't out as yet. And so I had to do a placement test to be accepted to the, the college. And, of course, ACE, the placement test. I mean, we've done that math and that English already. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just I mean, Fourth and fifth form in the Caribbean is pretty much first and second year college, as far as I yeah, can tell. Yeah, absolutely. So, so blew it out the water and started. So at 15, I was in college, and that was a definite culture shock. And so I graduated at 19 years old. So I was in college from 15 to, to 19. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely an interesting perspective because you had the Kingston and Miami um, experience growing up. And now what you're doing right now, you're pretty much having, like, you're doubling between those two worlds as well with Blue Maho Capital. Can you tell us a little bit about Blue Maho Capital and what your objective is? No, I appreciate that. And I think you summed it up pretty well. We want to be a bridge uh, between the Caribbean and overseas investors, especially people of Caribbean heritage who want to be able to invest back into the region, but don't necessarily know where to start or they've looked into it and it's it's a pain to open just an investment account. You need to know the companies and then stay on top of that. It's a lot of paperwork. And then that doesn't allow you to get into the the private companies. So how do you 
deploy capital back into the region in a way that, that has positive impact. Every dollar that we send back remittances uh, has an impact, but that's really for our family. That's not a, an investment. And so what we call the diaspora, the Caribbean diaspora, most of us do want to invest back into our home countries, our home region. And there's no simple way, right? There's no publicly traded vehicle, no ETF, exchange-traded fund, or index fund, or company that we can just buy. And in fact, there, there are very few private companies overseas that are facilitating that. They tend to think of the bigger markets. You opened talking about white sand and beaches, and there is this resort distort in the Caribbean, about the Caribbean, this perception that the region is small islands, so it's small markets small returns. But those of us from the region or those paying attention know that real money is made down there and you can yeah. have an impact in uplifting lives. So why not do good and do well? So that's what Blue Moho Capital was, was set up to do. It started initially with the friends and the family money and test it. And now we want to scale as we've started to build a team and, and ensure that things are in place. And we were looking forward to, to the next phase, considered phase three. But the idea is that, you know, the region has a lack of equity capital flowing into it. And that's a fundamental problem, equity capital. We have debt capital coming, so it's easy for you to go and raise debt. And, and, and we know other countries are, are also doing that. But how do we ensure that we can own a piece of of the rock or a piece of the Caribbean? And in, when we travel there, we can actually visit some of these factories or these companies and see how our capital has been deployed to help people. I mean, I love being able to go and say, oh, we invested in that company. Look mm-hmm. how many people they're employing. And look at the kids that are going to school and benefiting from that. I mean, this, that's, that's what we want to see. And then if you can invest in companies that are doing bigger things, right? So whether this is in the food security space, agriculture, or IT, and you know, security you know, development, I think there's, there's tremendous opportunities there. So Blue Moho Capital is focused on being that bridge between Overseas investors, especially of Caribbean heritage, who want to invest back into the region through something that's transparent and regulated. And we're looking forward to executing. And you were saying that you're looking into phase three. What was phase one and two? So phase one is starts with my money and my parents and two friends, right? So we start with the core and let's test it and, and see how hard was it to set up the account to make the investment, to test our investment strategy. Phase two, you then involve some lawyers to understand how can you scale this, and you, you go broader to a larger set of friends and family. And to know phase three is to, to bring in some you know, institutional level capital, a larger pool, and then we can do a, a more general public focus you know, where we can get general retail investors to invest, not just the friends and family, which obviously there are securities laws involved in that. So that's why you, you need to pay the lawyers and ensure that you do this properly. Because I think that's one of the biggest issues that we, we tend to have for any any developing country. This is not unique to Jamaica or the Caribbean. There, there's a trust deficit between those mm-hmm. who've moved away and the idea of investing back down there. So, so how do we deal with trust? And so that's what we wanted to focus on. We wanted people to feel that they can trust where it is domicile, trust the process, the investment strategy, trust the team, because we, we have to admit, we have to avoid the burden made ups and, and so on and, and what's happened in the past. And so that for me is the number one priority. So that's phase three is having everything in place so people can trust. And that's how businesses are built. Your customers have to trust you. Your investors have to trust you. Your suppliers have to trust you. Trust is the basis of, of a successful business. 
I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I and I think I love that you're taking a step further because I'm part of the diaspora, and my family we migrated to Miami in 1979, and you know we went to Jamaica often to visit family. And the only investment I knew of growing up was you know, a family friend or a family member buying a home in Jamaica or buying land or building mm-hmm. a home. That's where the investment stopped. Like, okay, I'm going back home and I'm going to have my home there. But the idea of investing in the um, in companies in Jamaica, that that's a new concept, at least from what I've seen. And, yeah. I, and I find that to be very fascinating because, you know, um, now we came here in 1979 and now my children were born here. So I, my major concern is how do I continue to have that contact with Jamaica? Mm-hmm. And an investment like Blue Mahone is, is, is very promising in that you feel connected and you can actually go there and say, hey, this is part of my portfolio and, and this is what we are a part of. So it's very fascinating to me. Love it. No, and, and, and that is exactly where we want people to see us fitting in. We get to be a legacy play in the sense of imagine a grandparent who is Jamaican giving shares of Blue Moho Capital to the grandchild and said, here's mm-hmm. your piece of Jamaica or your piece of the Caribbean. And they get to get these reports on a quarterly basis to do these calls. And I get to learn about companies they would never normally know about. They don't hear about them. And I get this, this news. I get to hear what's happening in the region. So we've been enjoying you know, the quarterly updates we do right now with our existing friends and family investors. And, and it's, it's, it's fascinating what they don't know, right? They see some stuff in the news for those who even pay attention to that, but they're like, oh, I didn't know that company existed. I didn't know they were doing this. I didn't know they were in 55 markets. Oh, wow. And it also it, it adds to our sense of pride. You know, right? I'm not going to say it builds. We, we already have a massive sense of pride, especially in Jamaica. <laughs> There's a full dose of that. For all <laughs> but, but we add to it. Let's, we can, imagine that we can actually add to it. Is, yeah, we, I mean, we're proud. Wow, we are... I've been told that so many times by, by non-Jamaicans, and that is a lovely <laughs> story. But, you know, when when we when you come from an island that's, that's so recognized, so small, but so recognized globally, and has had such a impact, positive impact in most cases, around the world, you can't help but be proud. You know? And so mm-hmm. I love to state certain facts. Like, people will always ask me, oh, tell me something cool about Jamaica that I'm island. And I tell them something, and Every single time a jaw drops, and they're like, wow, I didn't know that. It's like, I know. We don't promote some of this stuff enough. You know, we think right. it's normal. Well, we, it's almost, we grew up with it. So it's like, it's not that special to us. It's special yeah. to a lot of other people. Though. And we, we need to, our culture is, is our number one export. That's what Sean Paul's manager, Steve Wilson, says to me all the time. Our culture is our number one export. We have not understood how to capitalize on that properly yet, though. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I'm I'm just listening to you and, and I, I admire the fact that you've always been connected to Jamaica on a very deep level. Even right now you're on the board of Kingston Creative. How did this idea conceive? I, I know that you've always been connected, but how did you come about conceiving this idea? Yeah, well, I, I can't help it. Jamaica was integral in the person that I became, and I just couldn't help but want to give back. So you know, when I came to the States at 15, I would write letters to the editors of the newspapers in Jamaica, and some would get published, especially the Gleena. And, and it's not complaints, it's suggestions. Right? And that was partly because of the way I was raised. I mean, since I was seven or eight, that would have me read 
books and read about Lee Kuan Yew and Singapore and development and Martin Luther King and JFK and just get to see, you know, study these other countries, India and so on, and what were they doing? And it was, you know, for me, really just trying to understand how do we translate that for the next generation of Jamaicans after me? What can I do to play my role? And we said this national pledge like every day in the morning at school, right, at prep school. And so you know, when we talk about before God and all mankind, we pledging our love and loyalty. I, I took that pledge very seriously, it seems. And I do want to, you know, ensure that Jamaica plays its part in advancing the whole human race. Like, I really, truly believed in that pledge. And I just, for some reason, it's in my blood. So even though I'm in the U.S., I've had so many people say, oh, you know, after, you could go and use all your skills and your relationships with the deals here in the U.S. or somewhere else in a larger market. Why are you so fixated on Jamaica and the Caribbean? And I simply said, well, well, nobody else is trying to do it. So one, I have very limited competition. But two, it is at the core of my being. Like before I die, this is what I was supposed to do. I am supposed to contribute to, to Jamaica and the broader Caribbean in a very tangible way that 100 years from now, people can look back and say, this is what David Mullings contributed to our development as a nation. And that's just the way I was raised. Blame my parents, <laughs> but <that's> just, <laughs> they instilled that in me. You should give back. Like that's, that's patriotism. That is what it is. You should in some way contribute to development and not contribute to a brain drain. Right? I don't have to live in Jamaica to contribute positively to Jamaica. And I think more of us need to understand that. Hmm. And how do you go about choosing the companies that are part of the portfolio? I know that right now is uh, friends and family, but how do how do you go about choosing um, the metrics that you'll use to say, okay, we'll have this in the investment right. portfolio? No, so so we start by uh, having studied Warren Buffett since I was 19 years old, thanks to one of my earliest investors. He had me to that, and then. You know, Michael Leachin became my, my coach. Mike says I shouldn't call him my mentor, which Warren Buffett is his role model. So what, what, what Mike would say is that you find a role model, get the recipe, don't change the recipe. You can only change the recipe once you've exceeded the role model. Well, Mike has not exceeded Warren Buffett, so he's not changing the plan. I have access to the plan, so I'm following the same plan as well. It, obviously, there are slight differences in how you execute mm-hmm. the tactics because it is 2022, not 1981, for example, or 1967. But we we look for companies, really, a few companies, domicile in strong long-term growth industries run by prudent management, as in they manage capital very well. And then we look into hold for the long-term. We we really are not here to to be traders. We're not going in every day. We are not some high-frequency traders or a hedge fund. We really are long-term investors. So you look at what industries we think are going to be around in, in 10 to 20 years. Will they still be there? What has the company done so far? And then ideally, we want to study the the actual ecosystem. We want to understand where there may be some opportunities as well. So is there going to be some sort of catalyst that can also unlock a value for this business? We don't just look at what you call, you know, this cash flow model, looking at uh, the cash flow of the past and projecting out that for the next 10 years. We don't just do that. We, we want to look at where is growth going to come from uh, when you own this business. So, so that's what we look at, especially in the public side. On the private side, that's even more important. We're not trying to, we are not venture capitalists, so we're not doing the early stage investing. We're looking for companies that, that preferably are profitably existing businesses. 
certainly at least revenue generated uh, and we can put in growth capital, you, you call it growth equity, so they can scale to the next level. And that is what we're looking for. The operator is the most important thing. And what Mike says is that when, you, when you're buying a company, and that's what, what you're doing when you buy shares, you're buying a company, when you even just buy the shares of the business, and that means you're buying people. So who are these mm-hmm. people? How do they think? What, what books they read? I want to talk to management. I want to understand how they see the world, how they make decisions. And then we, we go from there. So those are you know, some of the, the criteria that we, we look at. We, we don't have, for example, a minimum you know, EBITDA. I mean, we, we do like companies with good margins. I mean, I, I am not invested in a supermarket, for example, because the margins are horrible. So, so we, we right. care about, we, we do care about margins, but I'm not saying it has to be massively profitable with 50% and 80% margins, but we won't do the 1% and 5% margin companies for sure. And if we were to take a step back to the beginning and when you were approaching um, these companies, like how well was it received that, hey, well, I'm David and I'm starting yeah. this? I mean, well, well, <laughs> what, yeah. I mean what that looks like? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say first, uh, we are not coaching the companies, right? We are talking to them about you know, right. going to buy their stock. They can't stop us from buying the stock. So that's, that's, that's true. That right. is true. But, but in, in most cases, I mean, in a small country, for example, so so we do know most of these management teams. Some I went to school with, at a high school or even college with, or, or did my MBA with them. So I did have a good understanding of how they think. Some have actually had the CEO ask me stuff. They've brought me in to provide strategic advice. And that was before I ever came up with Blue Mohawk Capital. So, so that's, that has been fun in, in already having pre-existing relationships with them. And uh, some of them actually pushed me to start this venture. And I said, hey, I'm considering doing this kind of a business. It would buy shares of companies like yours. And, so on. and they, they love the idea. So I think it, in my case, because I have I've one foot in Jamaica, one foot here in the U.S., it's been well received because I worked. I worked in corporate Jamaica, especially worked in finance. And so you know, built a little reputation there, met some, some key people, some of the CEOs of a few of, of you know, the businesses down there. So, and I had an MBA. So because I was able to, to translate certain things that can help from a business efficiency standpoint, strategic advice, they said, oh, he's, he's not done, right? That's pretty much he's not, he's not, he's not an idiot. <laughs> you, you know how, that, how important that is. Okay, he's not stupid. He can actually translate some stuff for executive and management. And then... In my case, an additional benefit is, you know, I've been described as a man of the people. I remember when I worked at Jamaica National, right, one of the largest mortgage providers in the Caribbean, one of the oldest financial groups in the region. I was one of the managers there, and I played on the soccer team for JN as well. And I actually was a leading goal scorer in the league the first year oh, I played wow. with them. But I would go to training, and it wasn't until about four months into training, I was in charge of launching our internet banking platform. And I had to go to every branch around the island and, and do these meetings to train staff about what is coming next, but get feedback on features and so on. And a few of the players were shocked when they got the email invite because it was the first time they'd ever seen my actual title. And they didn't realize I worked in the head office like next door to the CEO. <laughs> they, they thought I was like a teller or one of the lower level managers. <laughs> And I was like, why? And I said, well, because you, you eat lunch, you come down to the regular lunchroom, the executive lunchroom, you eat with us, you hang out with us, you play sports. I mean, they just, they felt there was a big separation. And and, and we know Jamaica, and we do have that class issue. But right. And of course, and I went to camp, and they just didn't expect me to behave that way. 
that has been extremely helpful because I will go and I'll just talk to the customers of a business. I'm not just going to talk to the executive team. I want to talk to customers. And that was a lesson I learned from a friend of mine that had launched a hedge fund out of Miami. And he was saying years ago, his one of his first jobs, he worked as an analyst for a fund. And the guy said, hey, I need you to, to do some research on Sears. And the guy says, okay, I will go and pull up as many of the SEC reports as possible. And he said, no, 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 I need you to, to fly to 10 stores. And you're going to spend a day at each store and mm. talk to actual people, like talk to some of the, the workers there and talk to some of the customers to understand why they come to this store. What do they like about it? What else could be done different? Like do underground research. So, I mean, imagine you want to go and invest in Jamaica and you want to buy into a food company. Well, then you go to the supermarket and you stand up and you talk to people and you look at what they're buying and you say, oh, wow, people are buying a lot of that tin sausage. Which company mm-hmm. makes that, right? That's some of the stuff that we need to do. I think that there, there is, uh, unfortunately, a, a trend of people trying to do everything digitally and everything is online and we can Google it and we, we forget that you still have to have that, that soft touch, that personal relationship. And you know, even with this pandemic now, obviously, we've had fewer in-person interactions and I have certainly focused on developing those personal skills over the last 25 years and that's been extremely helpful like people actually want to talk to me and want to engage and that does make it easier and, and make people more receptive but it is fun i've had to text you know i've had to text a few ceos and say hey so an order is going in today for you know 125,000 shares is me it's not somebody trying to take over your company it's, it's me, it's me. <laughs> oh by the way make sure they're available but what is it's been fun to give you know send a few of those messages that was like don't worry guys you know, there was one with it i think is it like 300,000 shares we bought in one day <laughs> and i had to just send a board member to text and say hey just let me know you're going to see an order show up tomorrow but it's me, it's Blue Moho Capital, don't worry. And we're here for the long <laughs> term. We're not, we're not trying to flip it. So I, I enjoy that. We're not that. trying I'm to do it. No, oh, yeah, we're not, we're not here to be hostile. I've never been a fan of hostile takeovers at all. We, we want to work with management. They should see us as a friend. And, right. and the idea is that, you know, and that's what Warren Buffett is. Yeah. He takes the approach of, you know how to run the business. Not me. Yeah. I can provide right. capital. I can identify a good business, but you need to keep running the business. You should come to me and uh, and tell me how I can help you. And that's what I love. You know, we've had a few companies that we've invested in, public and private, who point blank come to us and said, here are some things that we need some help with. How can you help or what door can you own? What software are you using to do X? And we can point them in that direction. I love being a resource uh, right, we're not just here to own shares and sit on our hands. We want to help the company scale. That that's actually beneficial to us, and that's beneficial to the country. That's beneficial to the region. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, what does that look like? How often do you have to go back and forth to Jamaica to ensure that communication is always open? Man, well, COVID changed everything. Before uh, yeah, COVID, yeah, yeah. Before COVID, pre-COVID, I was in Jamaica every month for one week for 18 months straight. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you, you can understand. You know, since COVID, though, finally, I mean, and that was because Jamaicans, we were just very hands-on, in-person. We're not doing the, the telephone call or the Skype meeting. Right? But then pre-COVID, it was Skype and Google Meet. Now right. everybody is Zoom. 
yeah. thankfully, you know, COVID has taught pretty much everybody that you can still be efficient. In fact, you can be just as productive or more productive with your time by doing virtual meetings. And so now I don't have to travel down. I expect that I'll go to Jamaica twice a year and most going forward because everybody's so willing to do that Zoom call going forward. So, yeah, so I expect twice a year I would go down going forward. You know, that was what I was doing with some other countries, right? Bahamas, Cayman, Barbados as well. So I expect that to be twice a year for, for business. I'll, right. I'll go down for, for actual well, I would try to go down to relax. I think it's impossible for me to go to Jamaica and relax <laughs> once people know I'm there. And that we have <laughs> friends, we still have family, the house, the car, yeah. everything is there. So oh. I get swept up. Uh, I get right. in, in, invited to some meeting or or somebody sees me, unfortunately, out. And, and I see one of those, you know, business people and they pull me aside and want to talk. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's one thing I admire about the ecosystem of Jamaica is that once you're in a certain circle, you're pretty much in, it seems. Yep, yep, yep. It, it is. But, yeah, and, and that's ultimately small small islands, I would say. It, it's easier to, to network. And, and there are certain mm-hmm. networks within places. Like if you said, hey, you know, I'm a black person in finance in Atlanta. I'm sure that's that's a fairly small right. network, right? So, that's but yeah, what, yeah. It, it, but it certainly is much easier in the Caribbean. You you can just ask somebody, okay, where should I be to have drinks on a Friday evening? Uh, where will mm-hmm. I see this? Yeah, and you, and you know, they can tell you exactly where you need to go to see who you know who is who, the business people or the this. So it, it's, it's a lot easier to connect with people, certainly in, in the Caribbean, Jamaica in particular. I mean, Kingston, literally, they can just tell you where you need to go and which day and, and use to the people. And, you know, I, I, I must confess, I've been kind of biased. We've been talking about Jamaica because <laughs> mm-hmm. I know this is a fun for the entire Caribbean. But what excites you about Jamaica right now? I mean, you have a firm <laughs> Focus on investing in the Caribbean, but we're we're going to talk about Jamaica. Please forgive me, viewers and listeners. No problem. But, I, I, I don't but mind. what excites you about Jamaica? Well, it, it's the same thing that's exciting me about Bahamas and Barbados, which are a little bit behind. But you know, Jamaica went through a hell of a, a time in terms of finances. And so we had to have these two selective debt defaults. We did these debt exchanges, which finally, for the mm-hmm. first time, helped to, to solve Jamaica's debt crisis. I mean, we we went from, you know, double-digit interest rates down to single digits, which, which is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly, in my lifetime, have never seen single-digit interest rates in Jamaica for mortgages, for example. And so that's, mm-hmm. that was great to see that. So the first thing is that we got our debt-to-GDP ratio under control, and it became more fiscally responsible. That's just, the, you know, Jamaica was at a 147% debt-to-GDP ratio. We brought that down to 97 And it's passed a law that it, it will be on its way to 60% oh, within awesome. the next five or so years. So, so that's great. The country, they run a surplus. We have enough taxes coming in to run. Uh, we can invest in some things. Yes, we'd like to see more investment. But, but that's, that's core. Right? We, we've looked far more fiscally responsible than before. Uh, the government... Has, and this was supported by both you know, both political parties. This was across the aisle, which is which is unique as well. That's important. So yeah. this was not one party doing it. It doesn't matter which party is in power. They've continued the same fiscal responsibility framework. Uh, there was buying from the entire you know, public sector and the private sector. So that's great when you have 
everybody coming together and say, we believe in a better Jamaica and we're going to commit to it. We're going to ban our belly. <laughs> we're going to tighten up mm-hmm. and we're going to yeah. support this. So that's one. But that also means that you know, capital was unleashed, money that was normally just flowing to, to buy government bonds and earn 20% candidate anymore. And so they, they had to go into something else. So they went into private business and public companies, which is why we see these IPOs happening and far more people participating in the markets. So that's great when we say capital formation is a lot easier now as a small or medium-sized company to secure capital by going public on the Jamaica junior market, the stock exchange. So that's that's amazing. We want to see that. Another thing, though, when you look at India 25 years ago, we're going through the same thing. We're seeing privatization of more entities, right? Government, as we know, tends to be fairly inefficient <laughs> at running things. Uh, Jamaica is is not any different from from India. And so you've seen right. more privatization, which is great. Get it off the government books, put it in the private hands, and let them run it better. So that's, that's right. what we've seen that. That's great. You've seen increased infrastructure spend. I mean, it's 45 minutes from Kingston to Ocherius. I wish we had that when I was growing up. I mean, you would be <laughs> to the beach and come back in the same day without you know, having yeah. that wonder. Oh, I don't know. You know, it might be too late when we come. Simple. So, so that's amazing. But that also allows us to move goods back and forth and deliver it. That's great. So infrastructure development is something that, that we are seeing, and that's important. If you want the economy to grow, you have to have better infrastructure. So that excites us. Obviously, Jamaica had the best performing stock exchange in the whole world for five years straight, mm-hmm. 2013 yes. to 2018. That so that certainly got us very excited. And anybody who watches my Bloomberg interview knows <laughs> I was pretty excited about that. So that's important. We're seeing you know, more people participating in the market as well. So this is not just 10,000 people. I mean, 50,000, you know, 80,000. There are a lot more people now in the market than before. So that's great. It means that we're ideally seeing a wealth. You know, being, or at least the opportunity to accumulate wealth is, is now more accessible to people. So that's, I think that's excellent for the country. We we expect per capita income to continue to grow. I mean, Jamaica actually had positive GDP growth pre-COVID. Yes, it was only like 1.8%, but it used to be negative. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. to see yeah. anything else plus, I'll take a plus. Plus one, great. <laughs> Almost two. Yes, I know we want to get to 5%, but yes, it was positive, and that's that's really good. So that excites me. But the last thing, and, and simply, is that Jamaica is a, is a hub. Uh, when you think of, you come come out of the Panama Canal, if you close your eyes, you run aground in Jamaica, uh, Kingston Harbor, Port Royal, which is one of, mm-hmm. the, one of the few post-Panamax ports in the Western Hemisphere. So these larger ships that come through the Panama Canal can't dock. Here in Florida, for example, they have to dock in Jamaica or Bahamas and break bulk, and then they can go on. That's a huge opportunity for transshipment where, where Jamaica is located. We're ideally located for that. And I know you're going to see some announcements coming out soon around that as well. There are, there are a few companies that understand that, international, and, and the government is facilitating some, some serious investment around that transshipment. You know, opportunity. So, so we're excited for for that. I mean, that's that's not something we can just do anywhere. So, Jamaica for me is the Singapore of the Western Hemisphere. It should be. Its location is there in terms of the the education and population is there. The language, obviously, English. Jamaica is the third largest English-speaking country in the Western Hemisphere. I'm going to say that again. Jamaica is the third largest English-speaking country in the Western Hemisphere. It's the U.S., Canada, Jamaica. We don't talk about that enough. That's huge. And if you can work from anywhere, as COVID has now proven, it means that you, why not? You can 
work from Jamaica, remote work. So we think there's a huge opportunity around that as well. If you think Caribbean, let's be honest, people tend to think of Jamaica. Let's let's build on that uh, and and add to that. Technology has solved that problem. We have three fiber optic rings around the entire Caribbean. I can get 100 megabits per second in Jamaica for roughly the same price or cheaper than what I can get it here in Orlando, Florida. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, you laid it out for us, David. <laughs> I've never heard third largest English-speaking country yeah, in the in Western, Western Hemisphere. Hemisphere. That's Jamaica. I never knew that. I never knew that. Well, thank you we for sharing We look about right? We look about yeah, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so how can listeners learn more about Blue Mahon Capital? Oh, com is super easy. And, and the Maho is M-A-H-O-E, which is Jamaica's national tree. And we, we chose that name, obviously, to have a little Jamaican connection without being blatantly Jamaican. <laughs> but but also, the, you know, the Blue Maho tree is one of the fastest growing trees in the world, but is also a sturdy hardwood that lasts very long. So the goal was to have a fast-growing business that's here for the long term. So that's how we came up with the name. So bloomahocapital.com. People can send us an email at info at bloomahocapital.com. And, of course, you, know, you can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn in particular. And we're excited to keep sharing this story about the Caribbean and why it should not be overlooked. And you know, the last thing that I tell people is that whatever we can test in Jamaica or other parts of the Caribbean, to solve problems, it's the same problems in other emerging markets. So you look at Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, they have the same exact problems. Uh, so, But it's easier for us to test it in an English-speaking country. Mm-hmm. And then we can scale it beyond that, right? So we think that the Caribbean should be a prime R&D hub. Start there. You know, FinTech, all these things. Test it first in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring it to these other markets afterwards. Perfect. That makes perfect sense. Now, before you go, I have some rapid-fire questions. Mm, and this it. section is just to get people to know a little bit about you and what's your favorite items, and so I'm going to mm. start off. <laughs> Since you are a fellow Jamaican, fellow Caribbean person, what is your favorite mango? What's my favorite mango? Yeah. Julie. Okay. That means you're stush. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't say stringy. I can tell you that. Julie, <laughs> <laughs> mean, I'm stush. Fine. I sliced my mango. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I love that. So what, if I said each Indian, what would that mean? <laughs> I, I don't know, but if you say stringy, you know, that's only Yeah, stringy is No one has ever said stringy. Nobody. Nobody. What's your favorite place to hang out in Jamaica? I know you were saying that there are places Ooh, that you can meet no, people, but easy. you just easy, go in there easy. just to hang out. French Runs Cove. French Runs Cove. Easy. Port Antonio. French Runs Cove. Okay. Nice. Yeah, and who is your favorite Jamaican author or artist? Oh, well, I would pick artist instead of okay. author. So, interestingly, Tanya Stevens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, her her lyrical ability is on par. As far as I'm concerned, it's on par with like Nas and Jay Z. She's just she's mm-hmm. not a rapper, but she's just, she's just so lyrically talented. I've met her a number of times personally. Love her personality as well, but just talent-wise, for me, Tanya Stevens. 
Okay. What show or TV series did you recently finish watching? Oh, oh just finished watching? Yeah. Uh, Book of Boba Fett. Hmm. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Huge. My oldest one. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, favorite book? My favorite book of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a powerful book. Mm-hmm. Mom I could read that me. over and over again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I give it to and everybody. This, I can give copies to. <laughs> yeah. And this is the last question. If you can spend an afternoon on a veranda with anyone, living or deceased, who would it be? Living or deceased, and who would it be? And and does it have to be a real person? Like if we suppose it, like I mean, Jesus is supposed to be a real person. That's that's a possibility. Or yeah, you know, right. I mean, any any anybody. Anybody, if I could, uh, one person, and I would spend person. time on the veranda. Yeah. It's almost a tie, uh, to be honest. But uh, I'll be honest. I would, I would actually want to spend time with Nelson Mandela, mm. and I need to understand how you could go through what you went through, survive that long, and then come out another and still be such a nice human being. I, I think most of us would be so bitter coming mm. out of that and and want revenge versus yeah. what he wanted. It. I just. That for me seems like some unbelievable superpower, and I think all of us get wrong or feel slighted at some point in our life. And man, we we hold on to some of these things. How did he manage to let go, and and then come back in such a bigger way? I, I want to understand that. Yeah, that's that would be a valuable lesson to learn for all of us yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, David. I mean, I felt like I sat on the veranda just listening to you. I learned so much. <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know, I'm excited about phase three and phase four through my home and what that means for my children and my children's children and their continual connection um to Jamaica and to the Caribbean. I, I think it's a very special place and I'm grateful for what you're doing there. Well, no, thank you so much for, for reaching out and setting up this call. I'm truly Truly appreciative of it because you know, the, the more we get to talk about it, yeah, Christine, is, is the more we get people to realize how special Jamaica, how special the Caribbean really is, and that we shouldn't forget it just because we don't necessarily live there anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, David. Thank you very much, Christine. <laughs>